Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Spring is pretty much in our rearview mirror as we prepare for hotter days ahead this summer. Are you wondering what the season has in store for us? Will it be a doozy of a summer with super high temps? Will we have a solid monsoon this year? You know, there's someone we really trust to answer these important questions. Her name is Dr. Erin Ann Safel. Dr. Safel is the director of the Arizona State Climate Office, and she joined us on the show today to help us understand Arizona's climate and the potential dangers associated with it. Dr. Safel is a brilliant scientist who holds multiple degrees in geography and climatology, but she breaks down the climate data and research her office collects in a way that's really easy to understand. And we think you'll find it super interesting too. So let's welcome Arizona's state climatologist to the podcast. So, Erin Ann, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're so glad you're with us today. You're the Arizona State Climatologist, of course. And I think I'd like to start off with what does that even mean? Maybe you can tell us a little <laughs> right. bit about what you do. <laughs> I know it's an interesting title, right? What does, does it actually entail? Um, a, a, a climatologist thinks about climate in a you know, a kind of systematic, different kind of way where we look at a lot of data. And, and that's essentially what I do is I evaluate what's going on in the state, how much precipitation, what is our temperature, what is our change. What's interesting is I'm the sixth state climatologist for Arizona, and all of our state climatologists have been geographers, which let me explain a little bit about oh, what geographers do, because interesting when I was getting my degrees and I wanted to study weather, I had to take this class called physical geography. I had no idea what it was and it changed my life. I ended up getting three degrees in physical geography. Oh and my goodness. I know. What <laughs> geographers do is we think about patterns across space. So please do not ask about any capital none of that. It's more about looking at where things are happening. Like, where is it going to rain? Is it going to rain on the rim? And where's that water going to go? And who might be at risk from a flooding event? So we look at these patterns across space. And it explains so much once you understand what's going on around you. And it makes a lot of sense, too, because sometimes well, yeah. out of state, people will contact us and say, what, what's the weather going to be like this summer? And the follow-up question, of course, is always, well, where are you going to be? Because yeah. it's just not, the Arizona is not one thing. We're not, our weather is never just one thing. I know our climate is so diverse and we have, you know, a really big change in elevation that really controls a lot about what happens in our state. So, you know, we're away from the Pacific Ocean, so we don't have a ready supply of water like you might in California. And that keeps us dry and that builds our arid and semi-arid climates. But that change in elevation really does play a role, mm -hmm. um, especially in the summer with the monsoon season, when we start getting that moisture coming in, not from the Pacific, but from the South, so the Gulf of California and the Gulf of Mexico. And that moisture can come in and it hits hits the muggy on rim. And that 
is a lifting mechanism that forces air to rise, which gets all of those clouds. So in Springerville and Payson, they get all those thunderstorms around three in the afternoon. And so then moisture can, can come on down to Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. So the rim triggers that? It absolutely oh, yeah. does. It's a lifting oh, mechanism. Just I like I've been the- here my whole life and I didn't know that. <laughs> like that is freaking awesome. I love the rim. You know, I've seen some great storms up there. I've seen like clouds building, you know. I mean, it's but that is the lifting mechanism. Holy there's yeah. nothing like sitting oh. in Phoenix on a hot summer day and looking up and seeing up north that they have these amazing big clouds and they're getting great storms and we're just we're dry down here going, oh, I wish I was getting that rain on me. Please come down. Please come down. Yeah. But, you know, that moisture can come down into Phoenix. But, you know, that change in elevation, it has to have a lot of moisture coming down. So those storms that we see up on the rim and we're, you know, looking at them, getting excited, we really need to have a lot of moisture coming down to moisten the whole atmosphere before we get it. And that's why our storms in Phoenix in the summer tend to be later in the evening. Yeah. I remember as a kid, um, you know, the monsoon storms were, I, I grew up in North Phoenix and like the, you know, I want to date myself, but the late seventies, early eighties, you know, so um, a big deal. We usually sit back in the backyard, maybe get some popcorn and snacks and just watch these storms. And I, I don't see them like that as often. I, I is, did I, am I, incorrect in feeling like they were more often back then or were they? You know, it seems like that, but you know, we look at the data and we're not seeing any changes in the precipitation in Phoenix. It's highly variable. We get a lot and that's what happens with your neighbor down the street and they get the storm and you don't. It happens with my sister lives a couple of miles away and she says she never gets the storms. And so I'm always texting her, yep, we got it, we got it. And so that's location. Yeah, it, well, it's the nature of what happens with our thunderstorms in the summer. They're called convective thunderstorm, which means warm air rises. And, and so it's very spotty. You might get that precipitation and your neighbor down the street doesn't. But overall, we're not seeing any change in who gets what. It's kind of uh, the same amount. Interesting. Neil, your childhood memories were just so grandiose Maybe. that the present can't live up to how amazing that nostalgia is. <laughs> Well, my parents would be proud, but I wonder if it's like the, the, we, we live probably six miles away, so it could be, we just don't get it as frequently, but those are some vivid memories from my childhood. I had a question. Speaking of childhood, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit and find out how did, before you got your three degrees, before you got your doctorate, (laughs) how did you get into, I mean, what captured you about this? Did you want to be a weather girl when you were little or, or what was it? I'm really thrilled to be the state climatologist for Arizona, the state that I was born in, the state that I love, and to be able to serve my state in this way. My first memory, so let me back up there. When you talk to most meteorologists or climatologists, there's usually something, not always, but there's usually something in their formative years that triggered them. A lot of my colleagues saw a tornado when they were very young, and that just kind of brings them forward. Um, It's kind of like, Jaws a little bit too early in my childhood, and you're just fascinated with sharks. Um, For me, when it was, I'll go ahead and date myself, 1970, (laughs) there was a tropical system that came in, and it came in um, in September during a Labor Day weekend. 
and it flooded along the Scottsdale area. So the Indian Bend Wash, before there was a floodway, it was just um, a channel. And all of that rain came in and flooded my house. I was three years old. It's my first memory watching my family sandbag my house in Scottsdale to protect us from a flooding event. And I was just fascinated. And here we are in Arizona, too much water, not enough water. And that's what started it all. And not, not only are you the Arizona State Climatologist, you also teach. And we were talking about that earlier. How long, you were saying, you've been doing this a while and you, you still talk about it so passionately and it's clearly fulfilling and rewarding. And that's how you know when someone's found their thing, when they can talk about it like they love it decades later. So can you share what you teach about and, and why that's rewarding to you? It, it does come from my background as well. So I always loved to read and I loved to share information to my family, probably a little bit more than they wanted to hear about <laughs> all of the time. But that's always been ingrained in me to, to kind of learn something and share something. And, and I don't know what caused that, but that's always been in me. And I love being in the classroom and I love talking about these ideas. And what really gets me excited about the students is that they have different experiences, different backgrounds. They're taking different classes. But here we are in the same class together, and I'm giving them that same content. They see things differently. They bring it together differently. And they're going to be very innovative and solve problems in a different way. And I get really excited about that. It takes a special person to teach. So thank you for what you do. A, a few minutes ago, we were talking about how elevation might affect uh, you know, temperature. And I think it's really cool um, in Arizona, really, regardless where you are, you can experience that, you know, like here in central Arizona, I can go north to the Mogollon Rim relatively quickly, or in southern Arizona, you can go up many of these sky islands and it's much cooler. And that kind of plays a, a big role in summer recreation, you know, yeah. so I had read somewhere that um, there's a formula that tells you how many uh, degrees uh, the temperature goes down as you go up in elevation. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? We can do an atmosphere 101. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's we're great. doing free education. Glasses right and session. Yeah. This is the yeah. same coursework she gives Ding, ding, us ding. Take out notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so. What it is, it's a, a lapse rate that happens in the atmosphere. So a lapse rate is a change in temperature with height. And so when you go up a kilometer, you decrease the temperature by about 10 degrees Celsius or about 18 degrees Fahrenheit for every kilometer you go up. And so that happens because as you move away from the surface, there's less there's less mass as you move away from the surface, so less nitrogen, less oxygen as you're moving away from the surface. And really, that's how we measure temperature is looking at the average motion, the kinetic energy of the molecules. And so as you move away, there's less kinetic energy. It decreases. So temperatures decrease, which is really kind of cool. But then, you know, you also want to consider as you're going up into the atmosphere, the oxygen levels decrease. And so, you know, here we are down, you know, at 1100 feet elevation and 
almost sea level. We can call it that. I mean, we have about 20% oxygen by volume. But as you go up to, you know, go mile high in Prescott, and you're dealing with maybe 17%, you go up to Flagstaff, 7,000 feet, you're dealing with maybe 16%. You go up to Mount Humphreys, you've got maybe 13% oxygen level. So it's important to kind of remember these things and how they operate, that there's still a lot of sun coming at us, that can be problemsome in, in the summer that can affect us. And, you know, we could actually have some issues with, you know, being acclimatized to those oxygen levels when we're at higher elevation, if we're not used to it. That makes sense. Oh, awesome. um, a lot of people, you know, they, they do want to run to a higher elevation in the summer so that they can still enjoy some outdoor recreation activities. And we encourage that. There's so many great places, yes. but it's something to keep in mind. I've hiked Mount Humphrey several times. And you can tell that if someone came up on the day of and just went hiking and they came from a lower elevation, might be a good idea to go up the night before. (laughs) Always best to go the night before. Always encourage that. Just kind of acclimatize, have a nice dinner. Well, not too much, but (laughs) whatever you enjoy. Otherwise, you can struggle. Yeah, 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 you can. So we want everyone to be safe and enjoy this beautiful state. It's just, it's gorgeous. I haven't been everywhere in the state, which might be surprising, but there's places that I'll still want to go to and check them out in the summer. We shouldn't get tired of exploring our own backyard. There's so many things to do and see here in Arizona. Um, We had first talked with you when we were getting ready for this wildflower Super bloom. Oh, that's right. we she made this famous prediction. <laughs> yes, she did. She said yeah. it's probably going to be pretty. Indi- factors are, you know, there's no crystal ball. So the science way of saying it, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you were very, yes, you're very, um, you know, conservative about saying it. it's looking good. Of course, no one promises or can control that. But it was clear, you know, we had a lot of questions, what's going to happen? And of course, we don't know, we need to talk to an expert. So that's why we connected with you. And then realized we we need to talk with you about a lot more things, especially <laughs> given that summer's coming. And we always have an increase of heat related rescues and incidents in the parks. And we thought it would be great to have you on and talk about heat this summer, what we might be able to expect and what people should do to keep themselves safe. Well, you know, when we're looking at the climate of Arizona, you know, there's kind of patterns that we can pay attention to. So January, February, March, typically we get some precipitation. It's a little bit cooler. But then April, May, June, we start drying out and warming up. And so it's really important to pay attention to that kind of sequencing. June is the hottest month in Arizona, wherever you happen to be across the state, it's going to be the hottest month. So, you know, I've felt the 122 degrees that we've had in the Phoenix area. I did. I do remember that. Um, We had 128 at Lake Havasu City. So it's important to kind of pay attention to those forecasts and what we can expect. We really, for Arizona, before we start to get our monsoon season coming in, we really have to get hot. And that builds this ridge or dome of high pressure, and it kind of sets up over the Four Corners region. And what that'll do is it'll start drawing in that moisture that I was talking about coming in from the Gulf of California or the Gulf of Mexico to hit the Mugion Rim. That's the big trigger that we're looking for. So we do have to get really, really hot And unfortunately, that means that we have to pay attention to what's going on with temperature, make sure we're hydrated properly, and all of those kinds of things to keep everyone safe. 
So I, I just have a question about maybe other states. Do they not receive monsoon weather because they might not have a mechanism like the Mogollon Rim to trigger this? So kind of when we're looking at the monsoon, really we're we're paying attention to what's going on in Mexico first, they'll start to get thunderstorms. Then it'll start to drive up into kind of the Tucson area. New Mexico will also be impacted. And so really, you know, the folks that are going to start off first typically are going to be Arizona and New Mexico. But of course, you can get some in Utah and Colorado and that moisture can move in a little bit more. So absolutely. California got a few monsoon storms last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. How about this summer? What's it, what are we looking at as far as heat or what indicators for how the monsoon season might be this year? Yeah, so we've been really, really fortunate. If anyone was here in 2020 for the monsoon or the non-soon of 2020, <laughs> which was the hottest and driest monsoon season on record, and our records, when we're looking at our climate records, they go back to around 1895 or so. So that was the winter in 2020. And then, you know, we're sitting there holding our breath, 2021 monsoon season, please, please. And it started to come out and we had a, a wet monsoon in 2021. And then last year, the forecast, the outlooks, you know, a few weeks ahead of time, we're saying, yeah, I think this is good. And I was like, we'll see. I'll see if it's going to be wet. But wait. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just kind of blossomed out and um, the sixth wettest monsoon season on record last year. So now uh, folks who've been here a long time, know that usually we don't have three in a row where we're going to have really wet monsoon seasons. So hopefully we'll just have a normal average monsoon season this year, but we do have to wait and see. We have to look for those triggers and and look at how the atmosphere is setting everything up to get that moisture in. We do know it's going to be hot. So we do want everyone to pay attention to all of that heat and make sure they're ready for it. Well, yeah, I mean, especially ahead of uh, the summer season and it gets really hot. I mean, we, we like to call attention to, you know, heat related illness and, and things like that. I mean, because it's so sad to to see what happens out there uh, to people. They get disoriented and then they end up, uh, you know, it's a horrible situation. Well, you know about um, the pinch test, right? So, you know, one of the things that I teach my students is that you you don't always tell when you're dehydrated. You can't always feel like you're thirsty um, and you may be dehydrated. And I learned this from a, a vet, um, my cat's vet. Um, the cat was sick and, you know, was the cat drinking enough water? And the vet tells me you pinch the, the skin of the cat. And I learned this is what they do in the military as well. You pinch the skin together of your your hand. If it sticks together, that means that you're dehydrated and you should be drinking. And of course, we don't want folks to to guzzle that water. We want them to drink it continuously um, and make sure that they have enough for that as well. Arizona is heating up and with temperatures rising, Arizona State Parks and Trails wants you to remember to be safe and smart in the outdoors this summer. Check the forecast before you head out for your adventure. If it's looking toasty out there, try heading out early in the morning or later in the evening, or set your sights on higher elevation destinations. Always bring more water than you think you'll need, and if you are hiking or biking, turn around before you get halfway through your water supply. Bring a hat and sun protection, and leave your pets at home when the temperatures rise. 
don't let your fun day turn into a heat-related emergency. And with the weather warming, vegetation is drying out and can easily catch a flame. Remember to check the area you're recreating in for fire restrictions and practice fire safety like making sure your tow chains are secured and not dragging on the ground creating sparks. And make sure your campfire is dead out. Drown it with water and stir it with a stick or shovel, repeating the process until it's cool to the touch. Help us protect our beautiful state while enjoying all of the adventure that Arizona has to offer. Get more information at easystateparks.com slash fire. We talk a lot about prehydration too, and I imagine that helps uh, quite a bit so they can just kind of be full of water before they start hiking. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't start when you're out on the road. It starts before you're out on the road. And then obviously, speaking of road, having it in your vehicle, making sure you're ready just in case anything can happen. Yeah. You don't want your fun day to turn into an emergency. That is not the dreams and hopes that you have when you set out on an adventure. You, you, No one ever does think that it will end in an emergency. Um, so it's, it's better to prepare because the, the person getting loaded in an ambulance or airlifted, they didn't think that was going to happen to them either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing. Sometimes um, our, our desert is, is very strong and it can absolutely t- overtake what your expectations might be. Absolutely. We've talked about people, you know, going to higher elevations if they want to do some outdoor activities in the summer Um what about the reverse? What about staying? Are there areas where it's, it feels hotter? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty new to Phoenix. Is this something to do with the fact that I've got concrete everywhere around me? Does that, is that affecting things? So, yeah. So Neil and I grew up here, right? Neil, you knew, grew up here, right? So, you yeah, know, yeah. we've seen the growth in the Phoenix area. And, you know, when I was growing up in Mesa, there was a dairy farm right next to me. Um, there was a lot of grass and and there was a different climate system as a result. I could walk barefoot outside. Um, it's not when we're when we're looking at the the tremendous buildup that we've had in the Phoenix area and a lot of great people coming in. When you look at that asphalt and cement and the glass in the buildings, that holds on to the sunlight. And so it releases it very slowly at night. And what that does is it causes our nighttime temperatures to be warmer than they would normally be. So they've gone up and up and up. Um, and so that's something to pay attention to. If One of the ways that we're looking at mitigating, by the way, that's called the urban heat island that I just oh, described. Right. One of the ways to mitigate the urban heat island is to plant those shade trees, making sure that they're they're ideal for our location. SRP has um, great technology process to where they can get you shade trees for your house. Um, And, you know, kind of keeping that sunlight from hitting your house is a good start. Flood irrigation is actually an amazing thing. If you have a house that is flood irrigated, I lived in one in Tempe, and we were about 10 degrees cooler in in our neighborhood than other locations. And so there, there are techniques to kind of keep that sunlight from being absorbed in your location. Great yeah. advice to get some native plants out there, some native shade trees and vegetation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely uh, can recall the. It seemed cooler back then. Too. Yeah, I'm right on that one. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Nighttime. Yeah, absolutely. 
I wanted to circle back to things drying out and heat rising and, and June being our hottest month. Um, you know, something else that happens apart from heat related illnesses and incidents and, and even death fatalities is also wildfires. Our wet winter has been great. Our wet monsoon seasons have been great. They've kept the soil moisture nice and moist, which allows vegetation to grow. This is part of our ecosystem that we have, you know, so where we can grow that vegetation at the surface, but then it becomes fuel for wildfires. And so hopefully in the summer, as we start that wildfire season, then we start our monsoon season with our thunderstorms and we get enough moisture to kind of dampen down that wildfire season. Not expecting to have too much of that exceptional precipitation in the summer that we've had. So we have to be very mindful of what's going to happen with our wildfire season. We do have a lot of fuel. All of that super bloom growth out there that's causing everyone to sneeze is now fuel that can become part of our wildfires. So we want to pay attention to that for sure. Okay. So Arizona residents and visitors, we are not out of the clear for fire this summer and, and please take care so that we're not setting off sparks with our tow chains. We're not letting campfires <laughs> get out of control. Be really responsible with fire. I just make a point to brush up on wildfire awareness and uh, we've got some resources that we can put in the show notes for sure that, that can help people prepare before they, they go out this summer. Definitely. We've talked about on season. We've talked about the time of year, why they develop. Uh, the only thing we haven't touched on is any signals or anything, you know, that indicate to people that they should get to safety when um, they're encountering a monsoon or during monsoon season. I don't know if we should touch on that. Sure. Absolutely. What happens with our monsoon season and what happens with our, you know, the climate that we have when you're dealing with those thunderstorms in the summertime, they're they're heavy, they're intense, and they can happen far away. And that water that was just dumped down on our dry soils can then come towards you. And it may look like, you know, you're under clear skies and all of a sudden this flash flood comes. So paying, uh, you know, paying attention to what's going on around you, understanding, you know, what the forecast happens to be for that day and, you know, where you are, are you in a chance? don't be be aware of what's happening um, so that you can understand how those flash floods can can come and impact you. So obviously lightning is an issue with our thunderstorms as well. So paying attention to what's going on with lightning, making sure you have, you're actually, if you're outside hiking, if you can get inside your car and roll up the windows and you have a a hard a hard steel surface, not one of the the soft tops, you're safe from from lightning inside your vehicle. So we want you inside a, a structure away from that lightning as much as possible. And these storms can can move kind of quick. I'll share mm-hmm. a recent example. Um, uh, two of my daughters and I were deer hunting in the Catalina Mountains, and we had climbed this um, not quite a mountain, but a good sized hill to get a, a vantage of the surrounding area. And there was uh, we had seen lightning in the distance and heard thunder, and then just kind of you know, got caught up in what we were doing, watching deer and stuff. And then before we knew it, one lightning struck like really close to us. I mean, I I feel like it was 50 feet away, but it was probably uh, 
uh, a little bit further, but um, that was not only terrifying, but it was a wake up call to really, uh, you know, don't trust nature. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you were all safe. So yeah. what I teach in class is you you look at the thunderstorm and you can hear the the thunder. You see the lightning. Well, with every lightning strike, there is a thunder sound that happens. Thunder happens. You may not hear it because, you know, it's sound and wind can deflect it. Um, but if you see lightning and you start counting and you do the one Mississippi, two Mississippi, every five seconds that you count equates to roughly a mile in distance. And so <clears throat> there's there's a rule of thumb, like if it's, you know, you count to 30 and then you hear the thunder that that's six miles and you should take shelter. I give it 10 miles. People have been struck by lightning um, from storms that have been 10 miles away. Yeah. So you you want to see that lightning as a sign to start moving towards some shelter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we learned really quick and I, you know, I'm, I'm outside all the time and that yeah. seriously was a wake up call because I just haven't had as close of a call as that, you know, especially well, with my kids there. Yeah. I'm really glad you're safe from that. It is scary. Absolutely. And it can be very loud. Yeah. Close you are to it. Mm-hmm. So loud, startling and just grabbing our stuff and just running down the mountain. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't safe, but I mean, at least we weren't going to be in harm's way anymore with the lightning. That's yeah. Great. Get to safety. Don't mess with it. Uh, yeah. Also, if there's rushing water, don't try to cross it. Um, we always see fatalities each year, or lots yeah. of emergencies. So don't, even if you think you have a great off-road vehicle and you're just going to have fun splashing through that wash or whatever, it's just not, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Pay attention to that running water. Understand what's going on around you. Yeah, absolutely. Great ideas. Um, I haven't been in a flash flood situation, but I've heard that you can hear them coming, you know, like at times, you know, if it's that, if it's big enough, maybe people can listen as well if they're concerned. Well, that running water, I mean, it's, Uh, It's, you know, it's that garden hose or a fire hose coming at you. And what it'll do is it'll it'll move along the channel. One of the things when we look at our dip crossings, you know, so we go up and over and up and over. Those are channel. (laughs) That's how they were made. They were made naturally. Mm -hmm. And that means that the water was that high at one point. It will be again. Um, And so, you know, it, it, it will push a lot of debris it's not clean water and, you know, you can be knocked over in, a, in about six inches of water if you're just walking along. And once you're knocked over, y- that may be it because there's there are trees and branches and limbs and things being pushed at you. And so you really have to be careful. These are great reminders for people who are recreating in Arizona's beautiful outdoors this summer. Please be mindful of the heat. Be mindful of monsoon season. Thank you so much for all of these wonderful tips. There are some different ways that people can get involved that you were mentioning. I'm wondering if you can share those. You said you have a webinar coming up pretty soon here. Yeah, we're starting a monthly webinar. We're doing it the third Thursday of every month. And it's just a really short kind of overview as to what's been going on with the weather and climate of Arizona. And then an interesting speaker will come in. Um, and, And so it'll be from 10 to 1030 on the third Thursday. What you need to do is just go sign up for it. And my website, azclimate.asu.edu is where you can sign up and find out more information. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes with the description and a link because I think uh, a lot of people are going to find that very interesting. Totally. When does that webinar series start up? 
we, we had our first one last week. Oh, wonderful. So, so you haven't that, missed too much. You haven't missed too much. And you can follow on Twitter and you can go capture the one from last week for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, the, our next uh, speaker will be May 20th. And um, we have one of the lightning experts of the world speaking to us about Arizona lightning. I think oh. you need to get to that one, Neil. <laughs> probably should go to that one for sure. I'll put it right. <laughs> Sign yeah. Neil up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds like it's, it's going to be a very interesting series. I can't wait to listen in on that. Yeah. And we'll be sure to link to it in our show notes. Thank you. Um, there was another way that you were mentioning people could get involved. Mm-hmm. We just celebrated um, volunteers in April and it was volunteer month and we have so many volunteers at Arizona state parks and we couldn't do what we do without them. I know that you need the help of volunteers as well. I do. We actually have one of the oldest weather stations in Arizona that has um, an instrument called an evaporation pan, which is the oddest thing, but it's a pan that's about six feet across and maybe about an, a foot and a half, two inches deep. And we measure evaporation every day. And I need volunteers to help me with that. The the location is in Tempe. So unfortunately, folks near and around Tempe probably are more able to get there on a and, and help out. But if you come once a month, we can sign you up and you come down and and I'll show you all of the instruments that we use at the weather station. Um, and you can contribute to this long-term record, which is amazing. That is so cool that you can be a part that's of this so that will last for history. And yes. I have to say, I can look at a pan. I mean, that does not look that hard. That doesn't sound that hard, but you're going to learn something and you're going to be part of this, this bigger um, piece of information. That's so cool. It really, you know, the more you look at the instruments and you're like taking the temperature, what's the temperature? What's the minimum temperature? What's the current temperature? What's the precipitation? It kind of becomes ingrained in you. You get, it becomes innovative or, or in, intuitive is the better word. Yeah. And and you kind of get a sense as to what's going on around you. It's really yeah, cool. That becomes a part of your daily thing. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't need a background in science or anything to do that, right? No, not at all. I'll teach you everything. Oh, here's another great thing that folks can do if they want to help with our precipitation records. So one of the things that we talked about was how, you know, I get all the precipitation. My sister down the street doesn't get any precipitation. And we have ways for citizen scientists to to contribute to our record. So it's called Cocoa Raws. I mean, it sounds exactly like that, C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S. And you get um, you get a rain gauge for your backyard, and then you report that on a daily basis. And so that's a great way to help. Oh, wow. That's so doable. That's amazing. I love when people who just care but maybe don't have that background or don't do that particular work can actually be a part of this stuff. Oh, and we need your help for that, for precipitation especially. Yeah. Where should um, people go if they want to get involved in either of these volunteer opportunities? They can go to my website and contact me and let me know. I think Coco Raz, if you go to cocoraz.org, you can sign up there on your own, but I can help you with that as well. And what about social media? How can people follow you there? Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So social media, I'm on Twitter. Um, so that's at AZ State Climate. And you can 
you know, get some interesting pictures. I mean, it's just me with my smartphone pictures. You saw what I sent out on yes, Twitter the with the sun dog. dog. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not native to Arizona. I moved here 11 years ago and I moved to Prescott and there's a street called Sundog Road. And they oh, also had um, a team that was there for a while, a hockey team called the Sundogs. They're not there anymore, but... I was brand new to Arizona and I was like, what? I've never heard of this term before ever and looked it up. And I remember learning about it for the first time all those years ago. It was fun to see that picture. Yeah, no, I'm so grateful to sh- that you saw that because it is, it was a good one. I was, I was, you know, up in the morning and, and I, this is what I do. I wake up, I go outside, I look at the sky, I do this all the time. And, and there's, there I see what we have with our cirrostratus clouds, which are ice crystals in the sky. So it's a very thin veil that you're looking through and the sun's behind it. And it's, and it's that light is coming in and it's being bent. Mm-hmm. And there was a halo going around. And then you get these sun dogs that are about 22 degrees off from the sun and they kind of just brighten up. Sometimes you'll see kind of the, the prism lights, so the Roy G. Biv. It's reversed for the sun dog and the halo. Atmospheric optics is what they're called, where you get that that kind of spreading of that that prism, and it that's what we were looking at yesterday. So it's oh, really it's beautiful. Yeah, we gotta gotta follow AC State climate. Some really interesting stuff you share. Thank you. Well, great. We'll link to those in the show notes. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs>